0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. How many people like me, like ever since the video announcements, I've been just in a haze. All I'm thinking about is, what am I going to wear on Fancy Pants Day? I'm just like consumed by that, so... Something, I'll have something good. So welcome to everybody. If you're a first-timer or a second-timer, love the fact that you come and join us and uh, visit us on a Sunday morning. And uh, let me just encourage you again, hit the welcome room when, you do, when uh, service is over and uh, get a chance to answer any questions you might have. But great to have you guys with us. And if you're online, welcome to the online visitors, uh, viewers this morning. And I believe it's Pastor Steven. Pastor Stephen's up in the booth, and so you guys, he may have already introduced himself to you, but just hop on and say hey to Pastor Stephen, tell him where you're tuning in from, if you're in Burnsville or you're in Iowa or wherever you are, just, he'd love to hear it, hop in and let him know. Um, And just a special welcome, it's one of the things I really love about this church, sometimes people come to the church and they say, well, I'm kind of incognito, I'm just kind of hiding out, I'm not really a follower of Jesus, and we say, man, I love the fact that you'd come, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be just in the right place, you just say, hey, I want to be part of the conversation, I'm curious have questions about faith, you're always welcome. We'd love to have you here. So flipping your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And while you're looking that up, by the way, if you're you're a digital copy, uh, it'll ask oftentimes what translation, we're New Living Translation. But while you're doing that, I'll also tell you this, John mentioned Kingdom Builders in the video announcements just a bit. And I thought one of the things that was really fun is that our youth, I mean, like, it's not like, hey, once you get to a certain age, now you're, you know, now we, we're encouraged toward generosity. And so they've been preaching about that and they preach in Kingdom Builders of the youth. And our youth, just our youth, have set a goal. that We're going to be asking you guys to kind of set some goals so we know how to budget. But our youth have set a goal of $89,000, which I thought was fantastic. And here's just one fun little snippet because this is kind of the way this works. Uh, one of the youth leaders was explaining that... Um, you know, they try to talk to the kids about, hey, let's not all get caught up in emotion. This isn't an emotional thing. We're going to pray and we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit telling us? And that's what we're going to be obedient to. And so in her group, uh, there was a middle school girl and she made a goal of $150. And uh, so, you know, the group leader said, we want you to pray about this. We want you to pray about this. So she goes home and she talks to her mom and they pray about it and she comes back and she said hey I talked to my mom and you know I know I'd set my goal for $150 and the youth leader was like no no I get it I I get it I understand I'm a mom too you know sometimes hey we she goes no I talked to my mom and prayed and my my goal is $2,000. I just love that I just think that's like that's 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 we listen to the Holy Spirit and it's just like Heidi was saying sometimes it's like that. No, that can't be it. That doesn't make sense to me, you know. So I just thought that was great. Uh, so just keep, keep praying about it, planning, dreaming just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. And if you're new, or if you're tuned in online and you're new, and you wonder when do they stand, when do they sit? We just do this during our primary text. It's just symbolic for us, that's all. It's not right or wrong, it's symbolic. And it says this, we understand that this is God speaking. That's what this is. So Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm starting in verse 11, 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies, not their hearts, verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, verse 13, but now... Now you've been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God. Now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself One new people from the two groups, verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, verse 19, So now you Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's holy family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word, thank you that it's you speaking to us, thank you that you're teaching us, that you're giving us instruction, that you give wisdom and life and truth, thank you that we can know that through your word. And so Holy Spirit, as the author, we now ask you to speak to us to explain to us what you're saying to us today in our context. Would you you make that clear to us? Speak to our hearts, to our minds, and do it in a way that only draws us closer to God. God, reveal yourself to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, February, February is month of the family. And uh, so during this month, we'll be speaking of different aspects. We'll be speaking of the nuclear family. We'll be speaking of different types of families, we'll be speaking about family dynamics, we'll be speaking about some conflict and resolution in families, and, and all kinds of, of, of different aspects of family. And again, there are only four weeks in February, so we're not going to be able to cover everything. But then next year, uh, February is supposed to be here again next year. And so uh, when February gets here again, it'll be month of the family, and we'll, we'll cover some different issues, some different family issues and topics. And so some of you, uh, my concern is that some of you would hear that, you go, ah, family you know, I'm, I'm junior high kid, I don't really think much about family, or you think, what well, I'm in my golden years, or I'm a widower, or I'm a widower, and I don't live with family anymore, or I'm just single, I'm out doing my own thing, I don't think about family. And so your concern is that this isn't going to be really relevant to you. And what I want you to know is, this will absolutely be relevant to everybody in the house today. It'll be relevant to everybody online. It, it, family will be relevant to you in so many different ways. And so if you're married or single, it's going to be relevant. If you're old or young, it's going to be relevant. Black, brown, white, it's going to be relevant. Educated, uneducated, rich, poor, it, it'll be, I promise you, it'll be relevant to you. And today uh, we're talking specifically about the idea that church is family. This is what we're going to look at today. Just a couple of thoughts. Number one, church is family. But then what I also want you to know is this, that family is good. And some of you have been part of only dysfunctional families and you've grown up with really weird, dysfunctional families and family is almost a hurtful thing to you. But I want you to know this, family is really good. Now, a lot of us think family is just weird, because your family is weird, because you think your family is weird, because you did some things or you had some things go on in your family that you think we're the only ones. We're just weird in our family. So you think family is weird. Uh, I, I, again, I always say this, I have an older brother and sister, but my brother and I were only 11 months apart. We shared a bedroom for 18 years. And so we were, it was high, almost hyper competitive at times, uh, but, we, but we were just very close. When we were little kids, uh, people would always ask if we were twins. And so one day, you know, we're about five years old and and uh, we're playing outside, and you know, when we were little, my mom would shave our heads, and it's summer, and she'd throw a pair of shorts on you, and you're off for the day, make sure you're home by, su- uh, by supper, you know, it was that kind of thing. And so we were actually around behind, uh, behind the house, we were playing behind the house, and uh, uh, we had this, we always called the porch to nowhere, I don't, I don't know what it was, it was a porch that went up, it was stairs, cement block that went up, but there was no door at the end, I guess you just want to be higher on the house. I don't know how that worked. And so uh, he was up there and we had a bunch of boards and we had nails. We were pounding, just little guys, pounding nails through boards, you know. And so at one point I said to my brother, he was standing up on the top of this porch thing with a big scrap of plywood and we had nails pounded all the way through it, all the way through it. I said, hey, go ahead and drop that board. He said, no, if I drop that board, it's going to hit you. And I said, no, I'm cat-like. Like Like, I'm going to move, you know, I'll be quick. I said, go ahead and drop it. He said, no, 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 it's, it's going to hit you. I said, no, it's not going to hit me. I'm going to move. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to drop it. I said, okay, I bent over to pick something up, and he drops it, right? So the nails go like that, and then I stand up, I scream, I'm like, ah, and then it goes down the back, right, so I got a big scar still, right? And so here's what happened. This is just the, the weird thing. My brother flies off that block, porch thing, whatever it is, and Sprints around the side of the house, and I'm thinking, he's gonna help. he He's no. He barricades the door so that I can't get in. He goes, No, no, man, you can't go in the house. You're gonna tell on me. And I'm like, well, they're gonna hear one way or the other, because I'm screaming for bloody murder right now. And he just stands over the door the whole time. He goes, No, 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 no. And this is where it gets weird. and This is one of those brother-brother things we do. He goes, look, he goes, let's go back to the porch. You can drop one on me, and then we're even. And we would negotiate. And I just think, now I get older and I'm like, Okay, that's weird. That's just one of those weird. If I brought all of you up here, you would all have a weird story about your family, something that you did in your family, some tradition you had in your family. You think that's just weird. I'm just telling you, family is weird. But you need to know this this morning, that church is family. And I'm telling you this, family is good. So I want to look at this passage. Now, just note this as we get into this passage. This is Paul, the passage that we just wrote uh, read. And he's writing to the Ephesian church. So this is really interesting. When Paul writes to the Galatian church or Paul writes to the Colossian church, you just read it, just, just take my word for this and we'll get into it later. It's really mushy language. And Paul has this deep affection. And you just hear it in the terms that he uses. It's, it's I love you, I love you, I love It's all that kind of, yeah, I mean, it's just very, very much language like that. When he writes to the Ephesian church, and I know that he loved the Ephesians, but when he writes to the Ephesian church, it's almost more like, especially in the first half of the letter, it's almost like, here's instruction. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, here's instruction. That's, that's kind of how he was a little bit more with the Ephesian church. So let's look at our passage as we look at this family thing. First he says, don't forget. Now remember, he's, he's been talking about in the first parts of chapter 2, hey, you've been made alive in Christ. You're alive in Christ. You're alive in Christ. This is who you now are. You're alive in Christ. But he says, but don't forget that you Gentiles, he's writing to a Gentile church, mostly in Ephesus, you used to be, and notice the word that he uses, outsiders. That's who you were. You used to be outsiders. Now just stop and think for a minute because you've all been there. Maybe you were in elementary school and your folks moved into a new house and so you went into a new school and everybody's been there except you and they all know the games they play in elementary school and they all know the inside jokes that they have and they all know the language that they have and you don't because you're an outsider and you remember how that feels. And maybe it was in junior high or high school but it was the same kind of thing. Everybody else knew each other and they knew all the common lingo and all the slang that they used, and you don't. You're an outsider and you remember how that feels. And maybe you went somewhere after college. You moved somewhere and you're, you're trying to fit into a community and everybody's from there and they know the local culture and they know all the expressions and you don't. You're an outsider. And maybe, and this could be this morning, maybe you've gone to a church for years and years and years and then you, you moved or something and you went to a new church. And all those people know the language of that church and they know the little customs and traditions and you don't, you're an outsider. That's how it feels to be an outsider. That's what he's talking about. You Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. You're, it, it's almost a, a negative, if we had to say, is that a positive term or negative? It's a negative term. And then he goes on and he says, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Now, just so we're all clear on this, that is a derogatory slang term the Jews would use toward Gentiles. Oh, there's those uncircumcised pagans. Do you remember this? Do you remember when David fought Goliath? And so David's at home and his older brothers are all out in the the battlefield and they're, they're they're gonna do battle with the Philistines. And David's dad says, hey, you need to take this food to your brothers. He says, all right, he packs up the food and he hikes off and he takes it to his brothers. And when he gets there, All the Israelite soldiers, they're hiding behind rocks and stones and they're hiding just wherever they can hide. You remember this? And Goliath is yelling out just just profanities and he's challenging the Israelites and he's calling them cowards. Do you remember what David said? David said, who is that uncircumcised pagan? It's a derogatory slang term. And he says, you were outsiders. This is who you were. You were outsiders. You were uncircumcised heathens. And the Jews would say that they were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies, not their hearts. Then he goes on and he says, in those days, you were, again, past tense, back there. You were living, here's another negative term, you were apart from Christ. Okay, you're outsiders. You're uncircumcised heathens. You're living apart from Christ. Everything is very negative. It's all downtone. You were excluded Who wants to be excluded? And you're excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Everything here is negative. It's like, hey, I'm kind of telling you how it is and everything is like this. It's all headed down and down. And not only that, but he says, you didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You didn't know cognitively, you didn't know, but you didn't experience them. Why? Because you're an outsider, because you're an uncircumcised heathen, because you're apart from God. It's all negative, negative, negative. And then he says, but now, see, now Paul's gonna turn the corner. See, but now everything was like this. It was all going like this. Bad, 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 bad. But now, and he says this, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. So as he starts to turn the corner, remember this. What is it then that starts the uptick? What is it that starts all the good news? What is it? Yes, thank you, it's Jesus. Jesus unites them. Jesus brings them to God. It's by, with, by Christ. And he goes on, he says, once, again, past tense, you were. You were far away. Negative term again. You were far away. But now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Now you go through verses 14 and 19, and he starts to, to, to flesh it out just a little bit for you. It's good. It's good. Here it was. It all went like this. But now, don't don't it's all starting to move up. And now he's going to get to a climax. He says this. So now in verse 19, so now you Gentiles, you're no longer, that's past tense. You're, you're not strangers and foreigners anymore. Those days are over. You are citizens along with, you're you part of the citizenry now. You're citizens along with all of God's people. Now get ready. Here's the climax. Remember this. Bad, down, 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 down. But now, up, 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 up. So now, get ready. Here comes the climax. The best thing is you are members of God's family. See, family is a positive You are now members of God's family. Now, just so we're all clear on this, now Paul goes on to write to the Galatian church. Remember I told you, when he wrote to the Galatians and Colossians, very mushy. Now watch the kind of language he uses here when he writes to the Galatian church. But when the right time came, God sent his son. Now, did you ever think about that? It was at the perfect time that God sent Jesus. And sometimes I think, really? Really, wouldn't have been best like maybe 1900s, mass communication? Nope. At the right time, God sent Jesus, why? To buy freedom for us who used to be slaves to the law. That's, that's what we were, slaves to sin, slaves to law. Why? So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Adoption. He's talking family language here. This is all family language, adoption. As his own children. A lot of you know this. Some of you might remember this. That in the first century, what you did is if you had children, you would have a boy. Hooray. You would have a girl. One. it's okay. But if you had another child and it was a girl, you know what a lot of people did in the Roman culture? Set them on the curb. You just just set them on the curb. That's what you did. Why? Why would I want to have another girl? That's how they felt. Christians were the first ones who started this idea of adoption. Christians started going, out; they'd pick up kids and they'd bring them into their homes. They understood how significant adoption was. It says he could adopt us as his very own children. That's why he sent Jesus, because he wanted us all to be family. He goes on and he says, and because we are here to his family language, because we're his children, family, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call it Abba, Father, family language. Abba, some of you know this, is, has, a, has the, the, the meaning daddy. Like it's this family thing. He cries out, Abba, Father. And then he says, now you're no longer a slave. You are God's own child. Did I say it again? Family language. And since you're his child, family language, God has made you his heir. It proves that you're his child because you're his heir. If you live in this house with this family and and, and the parents of this house die, that kid that lives in that house down there doesn't inherit anything. These kids do because they are truly his children. When you are his heir, you are truly his child. He's pointing this out. Jesus, just to, just to clarify this, just to clarify this so we understand this. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus in Mark chapter 3, he goes into a house and he's going to do some teaching. And the same thing happened that always happens when Jesus goes into a house and starts teaching. It just packs out. The house just fills up. And there's people all over outside and his family comes, remember this? His mother and his brothers come and they're like, our brother's a kook. They don't believe yet he's a the Messiah. They're like, our brother's a kook. He's gonna say something crazy. We gotta get him out of that house. And They can't get to him, can't get to him. Finally, they're nudging folks, nudging folks. And they say, hey, tell Jesus that his mother and his brothers are out here to, to tell him that so that he would come out. And they go in and they tell Jesus that and Jesus says, my mothers and my brothers, who's my mothers and my brothers? And then he defines it. Here's who's his family. He says, anyone who does God's will, is my brother and sister and mother, right? Those people who do the will of God. Translation, if you've committed your life to Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you've to sur- surrendered your life to Christ, if you're living a lifestyle that says, man, I'm, I'm here to serve God, if you've done that, you're a part of the family. Now, the interesting thing here is in the original language, this word, anyone, means this. Anyone, that's what it means. That's what it means. Anyone, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you are a part of the family. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care how much or how little money you got. I don't care what kind of education you got. If you surrender your life to Jesus, you are a part of the family. And so I'm gonna give you the big so what right now, right up front so that we can talk about it. The big so what today is this, and if you're new, we always, this is the only time you have to pay attention. Church isn't a building you go to, and we've said that before, that church isn't just a building, but church is a family and you belong to it. That's what church actually is. It's a family that you actually belong to. So here's the question that it begs, and that is this, why would I wanna be a part of a church family? Or why would I need to? Because my contention is this. You, you may think, hey, I kind of like going to church. I kind of want to go to church. I want to be a you know, part. I'm telling you, you need to. And I'm going to give you just five quick reasons. I'll rip through these and you can write down whatever you want. But I'm telling you, you actually need to. So, so just hear that. If you're online, you need to hear this. You just tune in. Somewhere you need to be a part of a church family. A lot of our, on, our, our online family is, is family. I mean, you're family. You're just watching online now, but, but some of you just here and there, I'm telling you, you need to be a part of family. Here's five reasons that I'm going to give you. Number one, it's for your own good. Just for your own good, you need to be a part of a church family. Genesis chapter one, God is creating, creating, it's good. He says it's good, it's good. He creates more, he says it's good. He creates man, he says it's really good, it's really good, it's really good. And then in Genesis chapter two and in verse 18, he hasn't created woman yet, and this is what he says about creating man, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. And I believe he would have said that if he'd have made the woman first. But he said this, it's just not good for people to be alone. You folks are genetically, I am genetically hardwired from the very beginning for relationship and for community. We just are. And so people alone and by themselves, it just ain't good. You need family. You need to be a part And I mean you need to be a part of that family. I'm talking about you don't need to regularly walk into the building. I'm saying you need to be a part of the family of God. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome. And he says this, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, with the family, body, family. We are many parts of one family body and we all belong to each other. You're better together we are better as a family just just think about this for a minute if a person is in a penitentiary the worst punishment that they can give them is what it is solitary confinement it is complete isolation because people go crazy some of you have noticed that with COVID some of you have COVID brain you're going cuckoo because you're isolated right It's not good to be alone. One of the reasons that you need, desperately need a church family, because you're hardwired for it. That's how God made you. Here's number two. Number two is this, for growth. Now, let me just pose this question. How many of you, you project 10 years ahead? 10 years ahead. How many of you wanna be the exact same as you are today? I mean, most of you don't. If you're really honest, most people like to say, I hope in 10 years I'm a little smarter. I hope in 10 years, I'm a little bit better at being married. I hope in 10 years, I'm just a little more mature. I hope in 10 years, I'm not making the exact same mistakes that I make today. I'm hoping in 10 years, I don't have regrets like I have today. I'm hoping that I can eliminate those. That's growth. Everybody wants and needs growth. This is Paul writing again in Ephesians. He says, he makes the whole family, the whole body, fit together perfectly. And as each part, each person, does their own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So here's the deal when you're a part of a family, you don't just walk into a building, when you're a part of the family, right, and you use your gifts and talents and abilities, and they use their gifts and talents and abilities just from hanging out with each other, you grow, you mature. It's just part of it, right? Here's a third reason you need it for spiritual protection. Now, just think about this for a minute. Most of the battles that you have in life, most of the, of the difficulties that you have going on in your life right now, most of you, it, it's just true, they're not physical problems. I can't move this. I can't, I can't get this done. That's not, most of our problems are actually spiritual problems. They are emotional. They are relational. Most of our problems in life are actually spiritual. The Bible says we don't, we don't fight against flesh and, blood and bone. We fight against the principalities. Those are spiritual issues. Most of your issues in life are spiritual. Solomon was said to have been the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon wrote the Proverbs. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this. Just think about it. Two people are better off than one. Because two people can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Some translations you would remember and say, but whoa, to the man who falls alone. Whoa, like you, you need someone. Then Solomon goes on in verse 12 and he writes this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. That is true. But two can stand back to back and can conquer. You know why you don't just want family? You need family is for spiritual protection. You just need it. Let me give you a fourth reason. You need family to help you fight self-absorption. We are totally obsessed with self. Now, in all honesty, I'll, this, is, this is a battle for me. I love me a lot. I just do. I'm just saying, I struggle with it. I'm consumed with me, a lot. And I'll be somewhere with Kim, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we're, we're hanging out with other people, and I get home, and I have this thought, I have a little self-awareness, and I go, I talked about myself the whole time, didn't I? Like, that's just self-absorption. Now. It didn't change it in the moment, but because I was with other people, at least when I got home, I, I, I was cognitive. I, I was aware of it. I was conscious. And then I can work on that. See, when you're alone, you can be all the self-absorbed you want because it is kind of about you. You know, I always tell the joke, how many, how many meals does it take to screw in a light bulb? Just one. I hold the light bulb and the whole world revolves around me. Like, that's how we think. That's just how we think, isn't it? Right? Listen to the scriptures again. If one part suffers, see, this is, this is when you're part of a family. If one part suffers, see, we all suffer. When you're part of a real family, you think about maybe growing up or being in a home or being in some close association. When one person hurts, you, you all hurt, you all suffer, you all feel it. And at the same time, if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Everybody rejoices. When something great happens to somebody in the family, you all rejoice, right. It helps a great deal. With self-absorption. And I'll give you a fifth reason. And and I I want to cast a little vision so that you think of this. Because I don't know, even in the church, I don't know if we actually think this. The reason that you need the church is because the world needs you. See, I I don't know if we ever think about it that way. Jesus, in John chapter 17, it's getting very close to his crucifixion. He's praying to God. and He's very concerned about the disciples. And so Jesus is praying to God the Father. And he says this. I'm praying, Jesus says, not only for these disciples of mine, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. Yeah, that's who he's praying for right here. And he goes on, he says, I pray that they will be one, one. Just as you and I are God the Father. That, that's, that's unity. If we were one like God the Father and Jesus are one. He says, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, Why? Why would they have that unity? Why would they be so together like a family so that the world will believe that you sent me? I don't know if this has ever dawned on you. We're God's plan. We're God's plan. It's like, you know, you imagine somebody and they're just ticked. They're just mad about what's going on down here on the planet. And they're just always like that. And finally, they they have a conversation with God and they're like, God, why is this going on? And why is this happening like this? You know? Do do you have an answer, God? Don't you have a solution for this? God says, yeah, you're it. You're the solution, the church, the family. So that the world will believe that you sent me. So that the world will believe that Jesus is the Savior. That's why we need each other. Because the world desperately needs us. Now here's the deal. These are the perks. These are the privileges. These are the bennies of being in a family. Protection and growth, and it's, it's all of that. Gets you from being so self-absorbed, it's all of that. But here's the deal. On the flip side, you gotta know this, there are also responsibilities. We just live in a current world that only wants their rights. What's for me, what's for me, what's for me? And nobody wants to talk about responsibilities. I find that very interesting. If you're gonna be a part of the family, there are some responsibilities. So let me just give you a couple ideas to think of. Number one, what part of your responsibility is to start behaving like a family. Like, just start to behave like a family. I think that's really important. And I just have a couple thoughts in mind. Number one, you know, you need to make a commitment. Commit to the family. Like, we live in a a consumeristic culture, no doubt. We live in such a consumer-driven world. And for an economy, that's fine. It's good for our economy when people consume. When that consumerism comes into the church, and P.S., it has, when that consumerism comes into the church, it's really destructive, it's really destructive. See, you go over here to the temple. I call this the temple of, of uh, materialism, right? The, the Mall of America. And you can walk down and you go, hey, I want a shirt. And you walk into that store and they don't have what you want. So you walk out there and you go into somewhere else. I'm still looking for a shirt. Well, they don't have what you want. So you go to this store. You, you walk through all the stores. Nobody has the shirt you want. What's right for you. You go home and you get online. And you go to Amazon. You go to all these places. And you don't just do that with clothing because you do it with your food. You're walking through the mall and you say, hey, I want to eat Mexican. No, 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 I don't, I want to eat Italian. No, what do I really want? See, and you do it that way, that, that's consumerism. But when that enters the church, it's really destructive. Now here's how it often plays out in the church. See, I don't know if you know this, but when I get up on Sunday morning, I don't start here. See, there's a church down the street, they don't just serve coffee, they have Starbucks. So I start out at that church, I go because they have Starbucks. And then I go over to this church because they don't just have coffee, they have coffee and bagels. The Bible says ask and you will receive. So I ask for a blueberry bagel and I get one, I receive one. And then I get my bagel and then I'm going to go over to the service over here. Only the first Sunday of every month because when they have communion, they don't give you the dry little wafer thing. They give you the whole roll. It's a bun. It is the body of Christ, man. And I get my communion there. And then I go over to this church because I like the preaching, but I go to this church because I really like the music there. And when the service is over, I go over here to the first church of the Holy Lutheran Luck because they know how to do potluck. And I guess, you know what I'm saying? And we do that. We say, well, I kind of go to that church for a little while. I kind of go to there for a little while. And I'm saying we got to start behaving like family. Now, now we've had, we have folks that drop in here because their church isn't open. Different, totally different. Their church isn't open yet. If that's you, you come in here, you worship with us. When, you're, when your church is back open, you go back to your family. Like that—that's that, that's what family does. But you commit to a family. That's part of what you need to do. I'd say another thing is you need to care for the family. Start caring for the family. You know, like like if you saw a family that was really hurting, wouldn't you care for them? If they were emotionally hurting, wouldn't you spend time with them? Wouldn't you care for them? Wouldn't you pray for them? If they had a situation going on, wouldn't you pull them aside? Wouldn't you pray for them? Like that—that's caring for the family. You take care of them. You, if they had, if they were moving, would you help them pack? Would you help them move? If they needed a favor, would you help them? That's what you do for family. If you were behaving like family, if they had a real financial issue, when you say, "Hey, can, is there is there a way that I can help you?" You would do that for family. If we were behaving like family, I think we need to commit to the family. I think we need to care for the family. But the other thing is this: if you're a family, right? If you're a family unit, sometimes what family really does is. They stop thinking about themselves and they think about the outsider. They think about the outsider, right? If Kim and I were gonna have somebody over at our house, right, I I usually, if somebody's coming over to our house for dinner, I call them up and I say, hey, I'm just looking to see what you folks want if it matches me, because I'm just telling you, we're not having what you want, it's about me, we're gonna eat what I want for dinner. I don't care what you want, Scott, we're eating what I want for dinner. Like, you don't say that when you invite people over. It's about what they want. You think about the guest. And I'm saying here, as our church family, are we thinking about guests? Do we think about the guest? Do we think about the guest experience? Now, don't point fingers. I want you to look around the room. If you see anybody that's over 60 years of age and they've been at this church more than five years, you can look around. Don't, don't Oh, I think they are. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, but you see you, I'm telling you, listen to me. If you see somebody and they look like they're six year older and they've been at this church at least five years, here's what I can tell you. See, they behave like family. Because here's what I know. They ain't getting what they want. Like a lot of you folks just don't realize that. They're not getting the music they want. They're not getting all the programs they want. You know what they are? They're family and they think about guests. That's what they think. It's not about me having everything my way. I got to think about the guests. I got to think about what they want. I want to think about what's going to draw them. What's going to make them feel good at our house? See that that would be behaving like family. I, I think this is really interesting. That just a perspective. The psalmist writes this: "Father to the fatherless, defender of widows." This is God. In other words, that's who God is. Whose dwelling is holy? God places the lonely in families. See, I, see, I think what what if we thought about it that way when guests come? Maybe guests are really looking for a home. Maybe they're really looking for a place that they can fit in. Are we thinking about them? Or are we just like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not getting what I want right now. See, I I think we gotta think of the guests. That's what family does. I think we behave like family in so many ways, right? But then I think there's one other thing and you're gonna think this is weird. So just let me flesh this out for you just a little bit. If they're family, you say goodbye if you take off. You say goodbye if you take off. So let me explain how this works. There were three kids in our family. We're all sitting at the dinner table. Let's say there's five of us. Pretty soon they say, hey, you know, pick out one of the kids. Billy, hey, you guys seen Billy? No, I ain't seen Billy for a while. That's weird. When was the last time you saw Billy? Oh, it's probably four or five months. That's weird. Did he say anything? Nah, he just left. Haven't heard from him. Haven't seen him. Wouldn't that be weird? That'd just be weird. Okay, when your family... That's weird, so let me flesh that out in church life. Some of you, you guys know I'm I'm just naturally rude. I'm never trying to be, it just comes out that way sometimes. So some of you, you you come into the building, but you've never entered the family, you've never been a part of the family. So this is what you do, you'll walk in during worship, we're already singing, you walk in, and before we really get done, we're singing maybe one last song and you already fly out of here. Listen, I'm glad you're coming here and, and you know, keep coming. But what I would say is for those of you who do that, you probably don't have to say that you're leaving because I I probably didn't know you and never knew you were here. Okay, but there are folks that have been here like this has been their church for 15 or 20 years. It's their family. They've been involved. They've been involved in leadership at different levels of this church. And all of a sudden, right, we sit around here and we go, have you seen him? Nuh-uh. When was the last time you saw him? About six months ago. Do you see anything? Nuh-uh. That's weird. That's just weird if your family. Now, let me tell you how it really works. In my five years as the lead pastor here, I've had five couples that have actually walked into my office. They said, hey, Neil, can we schedule some time? I said, yeah, right on, let's do that. And they'll come in and they'll say, "Uh, hey, we really prayed about this. God is releasing us and here's why. And we're, we're going to another church. And I'm just telling you, you know what we always do? We bless them. We bless them. We bless them. I've had people who come and they said, we've moved to a different part of the cities and our kids are going to be going to the high schools there and we want our kids to be able to invite their friends from church. And this is a little too far. And I said, oh, right on. I will bless you. You are absolutely doing the right thing. I will also just tell you this on a very practical uh, level. It's a smaller world than you think. And you'll just leave and rush out of there. And I've run into folks that were like really super involved here. I've run into some. It's so awkward for them, man. They're hopping around on one foot. Oh, uh, hey, uh, uh. Like, it's not awkward for me. Like, if you're family, you, you would say, hey, hey, brother, hey, we're, we're taking off, and here's why. God's released us, this is what we're going to do. And I would also say this, if you're coming here from another church, I always want to encourage you, when you come from another church, you should leave right. It's very important that you leave right, right? So when you're leaving family, whoever, when I came here, Kim and I weren't on staff of the church that we went to before when I came here, I didn't sit down with the lead pastor because I didn't really have a relationship with him, but I volunteered with the youth for about a dozen years. I sat down with the, their leadership and I said, Hey, here's what's happening. Kim doesn't like you guys anymore, and so we're going <laughs> to. No, it just, it, we, I just got married, and we had to find a church that was for us, is us. So I'm just saying, If your family, when you, when you leave, you say goodbye. Now, I want to give you this disclaimer, right? This is our church disclaimer. This ain't a shocker to anybody. I think you folks all know this, right? No family is perfect. Right, you already know this, no family is perfect. And in fact, I would say this, the church is full of imperfect people, like, just like me and you, right? You know this, I'm not telling you anything new, right? All families have a weird uncle, they just do. They just have that weird uncle. Man, you go to a reunion, you're like, seriously, we're related, that dude's weird. Right, turn to the person next to you and say, you might be the weird uncle, could be. How many of you have ever been the weird uncle before? Oh, I know I have. Like, I'm not trying to tick people off. I'm just lucky, and it happens sometimes, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to. But there's just times we say things, and they're like, oh man, I was the weird uncle, right? Every family has a weird uncle. This is what Paul said to the church in Colossae. He said, "Listen, since God chose you to be His holy people, in other words, since you're followers of Jesus, you got to clothe yourselves with what? With tender-hearted mercy." With kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. And then he says this Make allowance for each other's faults. Just make allowance. Forgive anyone who offends you. And then he says this Here's the kicker. Here's why you got to do it, because the Lord forgave you, so you got to forgive other people. It's hard for me sometimes. It's real hard. I'm not great at it. But we got to forgive other people. People, ah, oh, I was so offended. And I will tell you the truth today. I know that people are offended. For some reason in our culture today, people love to take offense. Like they didn't offend you. You took offense. They didn't personally attack you. You just took offense. People tell me all the time, I was hurt by a church. I was hurt by a church. Here's what I know. I know a block didn't fall off the building and hit them. I know they didn't run into the door. You tell me the church hurt you. Here's what I know. It was people. People hurt you. People do stupid stuff all the time. I do stupid stuff all the time. It's not intentional right? Just, we got to not be so easily offended. We got to just, right? And the reason, again, we said this, because church isn't a building you go to. It's a family and you belong to the family. You belong to the family. In a church our size, it's going to be a little harder like this because we're a larger church, but I want you to watch this video.
1: We've been married for uh, th- almost 37 years next month, and we never really had a church in all until then that we were comfortable at. We could never find one we both liked, and we fell in love with this church. Everyone is just so welcoming and loving, and it's just been amazing. They were just asking for new uh, people, for new groups, and O'Neill and I said, boy, that sounds like a lot of fun. So we said, oh, let's start one. They said, I think we could do one. So we. Uh, we we prayed about it yeah. and then we invited a few people that we were friends with somebody we knew f- for 30 years it was a scary decision mm-hmm. for me because i like mm-hmm. i like to entertain i like to be with people and so i was worried that i wasn't going to be good at it and you don't have to be good at anything like this it just it's it just so it, it's just natural and it happens mm-hmm. because the people are so uh, loving that are here mm-hmm.
2: i know pastor neil always talked about sunday is his favorite week Well, Sunday and Thursday is our favorite because we got our life group on Thursday. We absolutely love Thursday. The small group setting is really powerful to us. I mean, it's really powerful, but that's where the dynamics happens. It's, It's like a family. It's just
1: like a family to me. I mean, I think about them and pray for them every day, just like they were part of my family, as I do for my own, my own children and grandchildren. They're just, they're really special people. It has also brought us closer together. We find ourselves praying together more often than what we ever did. We find ourselves reading the Bible together. We find ourselves Um, talking about other people that we need to pray for and that we need to do. And so we're more aware of things since we've done this. It makes us more aware of our daily lives that we need to be more focused on these things
2: and it's made a big difference that way. If everyone had small groups, here's how I think it would change the world. Now you're making a decision right there in that group that you know that everyone else is, is in agreement with. And, it casts, and then you're not asking, you're not putting world leaders in control. You're putting your own brothers and sisters in control and you're putting God in control. To take, you know, a, a leap over a, a tall building and single bound like Superman, you can't do that. It started with small groups and that's how it cascades to bigger things.
0: That is so good. I just love that. And so, and it's, yeah, you can clap for them. And Sarah and O'Neill, I know they weren't here today. I know if you remember to pray for Sarah. Sarah, if you're watching this service, but I know she's having knee surgery uh, tomorrow. She took a ball on the ice. But but man, in a church our size, it's hard to be a family when, when you walk into a room this big and, and to really connect. Small groups, small groups, or CV groups is really where you connect. And so I'm just going to give you the big now what. I think it's pretty obvious. I think in this message, the, the now what is this. Text CV groups, plural, to 77411. Pastor Amos, our new groups pastor, is... Get to get in touch with you and try to help you find. Now, I'll tell you this. I know this about Sarah and O'Neill. I know that this this wasn't their first group they've tried. They tried a couple groups. And this one just finally they found a group that really fit, really worked for them. So if it doesn't gel for you right away, don't don't sweat it. Don't give up on it, right? Just stay with it. But I would tell you the same thing. Our our group is so powerful in our lives. Our our group uh, just, we pray together. We pray for each other during the week. And uh, so maybe that's the next ticket for you. I'm just trying to give you one practical thing to get started. There are other ways uh, for you uh, to to get more a part of the family. I always say this: the dirty secret of the church is, if you want to get connected to a church, start first by serving. Believe it or not, because serving isn't as threatening. You don't you don't have to go to somebody's house and you start serving. and You're standing across from somebody, and next thing you know, you strike up a conversation, and now you kind of have a relationship, and maybe you get in a group. But either way, this is one simple thing. So I want to I want to we're going to take communion this morning and. And before we do that though, I want us to just pray for it because here's the thing. Some of you cannot be a part of the family yet because you have not accepted Christ because God has been beckoning, God's been calling you. You kind of keep saying no. No, 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 not now, not now, not now. And maybe God is calling you and today would be that day. Today would be the day that you actually said yes. And so I want to tell you how you do that. It's ABC, it's always ABC. A is you acknowledge, you acknowledge your own sinfulness. B is you believe, you believe that christ uh died for your sins and that he rose from the dead and then c as you commit your life to him you commit the rest of your life to live for him a b c so bow your heads with me father this morning we thank you for your word we thank you for this idea god that you make us family what a great family a family that we're grateful for and so father this morning if there are those who've been listening and you're calling i pray that they would respond if that's you this morning you wanted to respond You could pray this prayer silently as I pray out loud. God in heaven, I acknowledge that you're God, but I acknowledge my sinfulness. I acknowledge that. I confess it. I'm a sinner. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins and then that you rose from the dead. I believe that. And I commit the rest of my life to you. I commit it to you, to living the way that you would have me to live. God, I commit that to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, then I'd say this, welcome to the family. You are part of the family, right? With all the weird uncles, congratulations. This is only the beginning though. It's only a starting point. And so what I would tell you to do is grab your smartphone and text us, text us, I said yes. I finally said yes, I said yes. And text that to 77411. All we're gonna do is send you some starter information, some some information to kind of get you started. Okay, One of the things that really unites us as family and focuses us on that is when we take communion. A few ushers are coming down the aisles if you didn't get a communion cup, we're gonna take communion right now. And if you have your communion cup, if you point the little pointy thing to the side, you can bend that thing down and then when you flip it up, it'll kind of separate from the cellophane and as you peel that back, it'll open up the wafer. The Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in an upper room and he was having dinner with his disciples. It was a Passover meal. That's what it really was, it was Passover. And he picks up a piece of bread and he just, right in the middle of dinner, he just grabs a piece of bread and he rips it with his hands. And he says, this, this rule that was broken, that was ripped apart, this is my body broken for you. He's he's giving them a a word picture. He's saying, this is how my body's gonna be broken for you. And it, it signifies what Jesus actually did And what he did is he suffered for us. He took our place. He suffered for us. And then he said this, when you do this, when you take this bread, do it in remembrance of me to remember me. So let's take the bread this morning in remembrance of Christ. So Jesus, this morning, we do remember you. remember what you did for us that you suffered on our behalf. You were beaten and humiliated and you did it for us. And so this morning, man, we are grateful and we say, thank you, Jesus, that you took our place. And then if you peel the whole top back, it'll release the juice. And the Bible says that later on in the meal, he grabbed a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new covenant, a new way that we will relate to God. And it's because of the the, the blood of Christ, meaning the death of Christ, right? We, we We don't take animals and sacrifice animals anymore. There was a perfect sacrifice, Jesus. That means it's once and for all, and you and I get all the benefits. We think of the bread; it's what He did for us. We think of the wine; it's what that did for us in our relationship with God. And the new covenant is this: you have direct access to God the Father. In the in the in the ancient world, even to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, that would have blown their minds. You and I have direct access to the Father because of the death of Christ. And so He said this: as you do this, when you do this do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember this morning as we drink. So again, Jesus, we say thank you. Man, we're so grateful. You took our place. And then what that did for us was it gave us eternal life. By acknowledging our sin, by believing that you died for us and then by committing our lives to you. Now we have eternal life and we have direct access to the Father. So we're grateful for this new covenant, for the way that we can relate to you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.